welcome to Restart Radio, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny, shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronics repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Ugo Vallauri from the Restart Project, and today I'm joined by our longtime volunteer Panda here in the studio. How you go? And by my colleague Janet, who is dialing in from Nottingham. Hi, Janet. Hi. So uh, we have a packed schedule for today's show, and uh, we wanted to bring Janet in uh, to get started as we'll be talking about flat packed electronics, a concept that people probably are not as familiar as they are with flat pack furniture uh, making. And then in the second part of the show, we'll be discussing recent scandals and flaws in computing processors and in batteries and the response from manufacturers and what we should be aware of as users and restarters. So, uh, Janet, um, we've been seeing uh, a resurgence, perhaps, and a new trend in uh, more products that are designed as learning kits and that can be uh, small computers uh, that can be put together or uh, screens that can be put together or even cameras that can be put together as kits. And, uh, and there's pros and cons about all of this and there's certainly like a market growing for for them in the uh tech slash education world and you've been following this uh, for a while as you cover um, our work in with schools and with the education sector yeah um i would say in the last couple of years we've seen um a couple of different projects that uh, bring uh, hardware more into the hands of younger kids and build, basically building on the success and the logic of Lego and, um, you know, basically tinkering kits that kids have had for ages. And I guess this, uh, we've welcomed this because we've seen the rise in the popularity of teaching coding and teaching children how to learn how to program. But we hadn't really seen um, the parallel developments in teaching kids about hardware. So this is really all very welcome. So um, you, we've, we've seen uh, also companies here in London uh, creating special kits that are more like specifically as toys uh, to, to help teach people. And one example that comes to mind is uh, technology will save us, of course, uh, which, uh, which has created like a whole brand around this. But there's some specifically projects that are more targeted towards computing and uh, the the main one that we've been uh, hearing and seeing uh, for a few years now is the Cano uh, project and uh, I believe yeah. you, you had an opportunity to see uh, that project in action in a sense. Yeah, well I was just reading about how the founders uh, literally got a request from six-year-old Micah, he was called and it, he basically said I would like a computer that I build myself, that I make myself, that I understand how it works. Um, and that's such a great idea. I mean, I can imagine um, basically, you know, yeah, this is what kids love to do. They love to get hands-on. So the Cano computer is basically um, a very cleverly 
uh, put together a kit that, that around a Raspberry Pi, like a microcomputer that already exists in the market. Um, but the Cano computer had in mind uh, a, the use case of a kid who just wanted to assemble uh, their own machine. And the really cool thing about it, actually, I have to say, both I mean, they've, they've come a long way. I think this is maybe the second generation uh, machine that I saw in action after Christmas. But um, it's that it's not just the process of the child assembling their own machine. Um, and literally, they are putting together, they're um, attaching like a graphics card, the battery, um, all the various ports into the microcomputer, and they're you know putting them into an, a very beautiful assembly um, where they're all visible through the back. Um, but it's also the experience the kid has of configuring the machine. So the kind of I guess they call it in the tech world, like the onboarding is really brilliant. Um, I watched my nephew kind of configure his own machine and in that um, learn about a little bit how it works. And not only the best part is that um, the kids actually, the games that are that are that come packaged um, in this machine that come on their, their little operating system are, they're actually oriented towards learning more about the hardware and also just basically hacking and adapting everything. So the whole logic of the machine is DIY and about hacking. And so, for example, the, the version of Minecraft encourages kids to hack Minecraft. And um, if they want to play Pong, they're encouraged, you know, the classic game Pong, um, they're encouraged to create their own version, their own remix of Pong, um, and it's building on scratch. And um, basically, they're learning programming language from, from the beginning. So. And that was the logic of, of, of my family. It was like they asked for a little handheld gadget manufactured by a big manufacturer that's a black box. And instead, they got something that they had to build and make and create with. So, so it's pretty cool to watch. <laughs> so did they, did they get their hands on straight away? For sure. And, um, you know, I'm, well, one of my nephews is um, nine. The other is younger. He's um, just... He, um, just five, and it was really cool to actually watch the younger nephew. Also, I think he had slightly more appreciation for for what it was because it's a transparent. It's literally a transparent device, and you can see lights and components. And you know, I think oftentimes kids have with the black box, smaller, closed tablets. They they don't really have a notion of them having parts um, of them being necessarily delicate objects with parts that can break inside. So I think I think that was also one of the more brilliant aspects of it is that, um, well, first of all, it's probably less, it's it's a little bit more substantial. It's harder to kind of potentially like grab and try and argue over, but also it inspires a kind of respect for the device, which is cool. Nice. This kind of reminds me of my first encounter with, uh, well, PC computers, uh, well, not very many years ago, but at the time when they were no longer just the IBM, but there were the so-called compatibles that were started to get on the market and how the whole culture around buying your computer was not just to buy a specific brand, but to go to shops that would allow you to choose the different components. Uh, and uh, and then a lot of it was actually starting with the idea that then you were going to be able to upgrade by taking one card out and get a better video card and then get a sound card when they started to come about so that they, they, you could learn more functionalities and make the most of these computers. I guess, David, you had similar experience? 
Yeah, I mean, I had uh, I had a similar experience, and also I guess closer to what Janet describes. Uh, uh, when I was young, there was a his kit uh, was a brand that uh, made some electronic kits that also you created to. I mean, it was not. It was just to learn. It didn't have a functionality, uh, uh, I guess, like the canoe, uh, but it was great learning exercise. Uh, and I think the, the experience that you mentioned, uh, uh, Zoigo, you still find it now, but on the completely other extreme. It's gamers uh, who are building, or, or, and, and possibly uh, Bitcoin miners, but at least, <laughs> at least gamers who are building their, their own kits with the most powerful kit possible and, uh, and variations and, uh, to, get the, to get the power you don't get in a standard, uh, standard machine. Yeah, and I guess it's a minority of the computer market. Well, at that time, it seemed to be more mainstream. Uh, one uh, thing I wanted to add um, in terms of upgradability, and um, one thing that the reason that Cano caught our attention early on um, was also that uh, after they um, after a new Raspberry Pi uh, computer came out and um, their first generation could be upgraded, they actually offered out an upgrade, like a project reuse the first. Um, the first computer, and I, I really like. I really appreciated their life cycle thinking. So the thinking of how do you take um, what potentially could be deemed as an obsolete um, piece of hardware and give it a second life, and, and, and they had a quite creative project attached to that. And I'm hoping um, that they continue to take on that life cycle um, approach. And and you can see that as it is a very modular and adaptable uh, design. I, I think that that's definitely something. I mean, I can see, you know, my my nephews even knowing how to repair it. If, for example, if they identify the graphics card as a problem, or if the battery grew, um, became exhausted, they would they would actually know exactly how to go in and repair it. So that's just, um, I, I hope that continues to be part and parcel of these kit projects. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, if you look at um, the design of uh, the Pi Top, which is a similar project, although it's not specifically for education, and it's a modular laptop. It makes you wonder why aren't they all like that? And the fact that you can put it together does confirm that you you can uh, then put it uh, back into pieces if you need to, and if you want to reuse parts or if one bit fails. But David, uh, the the fact that these devices are uh, delivered to you as a kit, uh, do you think it might also have some potential disadvantages? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that's. I mean, for the Cano and, and the way Janet so uh, described experience, it's very much uh, an educational product, and you learn uh, as you make it. As you make it. Uh, I think for other uh, flat pack, I mean, you mentioned the Python, but possibly even non-computing device uh, uh, such as the Lomography Constructor. Uh, uh, or speakers, flat flat speakers, uh, and projects that are not even real. I mean, like the uh, the Dyson toaster. Uh, it, it's uh, there is a risk that you want a product that works uh, uh, first and foremost, and for that you might start to build it. And if you make a mistake or whatever, then you end up with a product that is that is not working or never works. Or you can even uh, decide that uh, oh, that's too much work, and you leave it uh, half uh, half built in a drawer uh, uh, or in the bin, uh, which then is definitely counterproductive. I think what is really important as a change of idea is to have products that are designed to be easy to uh, take apart, possibly by the user uh, and not just uh, or as well as uh, by a repairer, uh, but. The, the the fact that you built it yourself in the first place, 
I think it's great when you want to have that experience, but I don't think it's uh, it should be a trend for all kind of products. Absolutely, and we spoke mm. about uh, uh, the SafeCast uh, uh, project in the past uh, uh, to a device that could be bought as a one-off or it could be bought as a kit to be assembled so that you learn how it actually functions to detect radiations. And not everyone would buy the kit to build it themselves. They could buy uh, the already finished product that might cost a bit more. Uh, but here, I think that the point that you can learn how things work, if that's what you're after, is a great incentive to learn to just to put together something that ultimately will function as a real product and not just a toy. And in the example you give as a safe cast, I mean, it was not just a product. You had a huge net support network as well. So if you had difficulties making it also, you could rely on other people for help. Uh, which yeah, that reminds me of uh, how IKEA has just bought TaskRabbit. <laughs> right. So that, um, so that if you're an, a potential IKEA customer, but you're too lazy, you can get somebody to come in and, uh, and assemble a flat pack uh, device for you. I'm, that's probably not going to happen in electronics. but Yeah. Um. <laughs> but it, Janet, you see them, uh, the use uh, of these devices in, in the classroom, for example. Do you see this as a valid way to combine better theoretical learning about how hardware and potentially its environmental impact uh, can actually have a hands-on component. Yeah, I mean, definitely, because also um, I've been, you know, working with, um, I would say, year nines and year tens, so students later later on in, in you know, in their, um, in their upbringing, as it were, and if we could have kids um, more in tune with uh, the way things are designed uh, and feeling more comfortable with hardware at an earlier age, that's just, that's massively important. Um, you know, one of the things I think our biggest challenge is just to, um, is really, to, in order to reduce waste and to have more resilient relationship with, with electronics, we have to, we have to remove the mystery and kind of, we have to open the box. And I think the sooner we do that with kids, um, the better, absolutely the better. I don't know if this is, you know, an affordable solution for all, you know, for public schools and for all different scenarios. But in terms of their maintenance, um, and as we were saying, in terms of their upgradability, um, if you could have kids maintaining and upgrading machines, then all the better. Then potentially it is actually cost effective. Um, and, you know, I, I yeah, I, I hope that both the uh, Cano and the PyTop and more projects like it really open the box. And um, I guess the only thing you've seen like it in mobile um, or potentially in the, you know, the, the kind of, we haven't even really seen tablets like this, but we've seen that Fairphone has tried to create a modular um, mobile. Um, and so maybe there's some work to be done with mobile, but it's a great start with computing. We'll see if maybe Fairphone will deliver a DIY version that you put together first and then use and disassemble again. <laughs> Just an idea for them. Well, uh, Janet, thank you for that. And uh, uh, let's talk more about education-related projects and hardware in the future. Thanks for Absolutely. joining us. Bye. Bye, Janet. David, it's really interesting uh, to to talk here on Resonance 104.4 FM during Rista Radio about uh, 
upgradability of uh, devices and how easy or not easy it is to take them apart, specifically in light of some of the news stories that broke uh, within the last couple of weeks, uh, right uh, in the pre and post Christmas uh, holidays days. Um, we had first this big news related to Apple um, and uh, the fact that they've admitted to slowing down with software, some of their iPhones specifically from the 6S uh, on and uh, as a way to reduce chances that they would shut down unexpectedly when the battery was starting to wear out a bit. And we'll talk more about the other stories that have happened since. But I know you are, uh, you've been using Apple devices for a long time and following the ups and downs of the company. And I thought it would be really a good chance to discuss this with you. Just a, a small correction. Uh, they, they said it affects uh, the software affect device from the iPhone 6 onward. Not oh, yes, 6. Apologies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the I think a lot of the press coverage has been quite negative on the software updates that Apple has done. And uh, and I guess I'll, uh, I'll have a contrarian opinion on that. Um, I think that the that having so they created a software that reduces the uh, performance uh, or some aspect of the performance uh, of the phone, such as taking longer to launch uh, apps uh, um, and reducing the backlight and, uh, and the volume of speaker. Uh, when the battery is in a really bad state, and that means that, uh, uh, and it, when they didn't do that before that, the phone would just shut down. So I think it extends the usability of the phone. So I think the software uh, 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 changes that they've done and the and the reduce the reduction of performance, but that means that the phone doesn't shut down, is a positive thing. The problems are that they didn't communicate about it, and so. Uh, People saw that the phone was uh, uh, was going slower or worse, and that was only found out by uh, other persons, third parties, and I'm doing benchmarks, and that then forced Apple to uh, uh, to be more communicative about it. So that's so that the first issue I think is a communication one, and another issue, of course, is that Apple doesn't seems to treat really batteries as uh, as items that wear out and that need to be replaced until. No. Uh, yeah, so uh, summarizing, uh, basically, Apple admitted to this happening uh, with a software update that uh, was initially rolled out at the end of 2016 for some phones and now extended for iPhone 7s as of the end of uh, 2017. And uh, they might apply similar measures in the future for other newer devices as well. And what this revealed uh, is that they they weren't they did they applied the software update, but no uh, notification of any kind appeared uh, for users uh, that due to poor quality uh, well battery status uh, they would have a change in performance of their phone, and uh, that is quite a problem because it it the phone performance is affected without people having any clue that by changing the battery, the performance will go back to normal. This combined with the price, the normal price for the battery, uh, which was uh, 79 and still is if you have a phone that's not covered by the current uh, 
special 2018 promotion, which reduces it to £25. Uh, it, it was that price point was very high and discouraging people from from doing it, uh, at least from doing it at an Apple store. And not just the price point. I mean, the, the fact that uh, changing the battery on uh, on an iPhone is not, I mean, takes time, is not that easy. Uh, it can be done by anyone, but you need to take your time and have the right tools. Uh, and Apple does not sell the batteries, so you need to find a way to find batteries. And the same problem affects, of course, repair shops. If you want to go to repair shops, they also have to source good quality batteries and not from Apple because Apple does not sell the batteries. But the, the um, so I think two related things. I think the, the performance issues, I mean, there are other performance issues that Apple, I mean, could improve if they wish to, uh, I guess, to reduce a little bit their profit margin on the device. I find I'm more affected by the uh, the amount of uh, of RAM memory in the phone. Uh, that means that uh, by using several applications all the times, switching from one to the other, often the content has to be reloaded. Like in the web browser, the web pages uh, have to be reloaded. So so that's that probably affects more for me the usability of the phone uh, than any as any aspect of the software uh, uh, updates. And as far as I found out from the benchmark I've done, I do not think I'm affected uh, um, uh, by this uh, performance reduction. But of course, as uh, you pointed out, there is no indication whether it is active or not. Um, and Apple mentioned that the uh, so the, the, the batteries, of course, after, uh, after a while, uh, the performance reduced, the impedance uh, increase, and that's what is creating the problems. And they, they mentioned that after 500 cycles, battery performance, if it goes down to 80% of the initial design charge, then that could create issues. Uh, but on on two phones uh, I tend to use, I mean, uh, on an iPhone 5S, for instance, that has 779 cycles, uh, the battery is still at 82.8%. And on iPhone 6, uh, which has 827 cycles, the performance is even at 85%. So, so it's not not everyone is affected in the same way. That depends on the usage and that depends on, on, on the factors, which are not, of course, I mean, uh, uh, known by user and controllable. More, more openness uh, and uh, transparency in all of this seems to be like a key aspect of what's missing. The very fact that you are able to assess the uh, state of your battery by using an extra third-party software, uh, which I believe is how you are able to tell us these numbers. Coconut uh, battery is great for that, yes. Yes. Um, and that for most people, it wouldn't be so obvious uh, without doing some research how to, how to do the same. And so not knowing exactly how much of the original capacity of the battery is remaining and whether there is a threshold when you're likely to have uh, a better experience if you have your battery replaced would be a start. And then designing devices so that this can be done effectively, easily uh, by more people probably is a better way. Definitely. But the, the, what is quite surprising is that so there is a big, uh, it's become a big story now, uh, but it's not the first time that Apple has uh, uh, created software that impacts uh, the performance of a device. Uh, in uh, in some old MacBook and MacBook Pros, for instance, that used uh, more power than the battery could deliver when using heavy graphics. 
if uh, if the uh, um, power bricks, the 65, power, 65 watt power bricks, was not connected uh, to the device, or there is no uh, and no battery uh, or dead battery, then uh, the performance would be limited because of that. And that was, I mean, as far as I could find, I found that on an, on an archived uh, notes from Apple. I'm not sure if it's even currently on the uh, on the Apple website. And in uh, in the current uh, fanless MacBook, uh, because there is no fan to extract the heat, uh, for them to not overheat. Uh, um, at some point, if you use if you use them for with uh, applications that require a lot of power, then the uh, um, uh, they will be uh, um, they will be reduced. The performance will be reduced to reduce the heat generated by the, by the device. So so that, that it's not. I mean it it is. Maybe it's not common, but it's not. I mean, uh, unique at least to the phone. Uh, Absolutely. There now we'll we'll see how this e issue evolves. There's a number of lawsuits that are uh, pending now uh, with class action because people were not being informed and potentially misguided to uh, upgrade their phone to a brand new phone rather than trying to get the battery uh, replaced. Uh, we'll we'll keep an eye on this. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we just have a few more minutes to talk about a potentially much bigger story, uh, which is the two uh, flows, the meltdown and spectre uh, flows for microprocessors uh, and for of computers uh, of all kinds uh, that affect uh, whether you have an iPhone or a computer built in the last uh, 20 years uh, by Intel, AMD, and uh, many more uh, manufacturers. Uh, it's a very complex issue. Uh, and what are the things that normal people should know about? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we won't try to explain uh, the details of it. It's uh, linked to how the processor uh, predicts the way the software will branch out. Uh, and I think that's as, as much as we uh, will go into the technical <laughs> details. Uh, it is. It affects the architecture of our processor work for the past twenty years, and also meltdown. Uh, meltdown and Spectre are the name of these uh, issues. Meltdown affect, I think, only or principally Intel processors. Spectre affect as well uh, ARM's, AMD, and possibly others. Uh, it's uh, it's so bad to some extent that uh, the U.S. Computer Emergency Response Team, in its initial uh, advisory notes. Uh, suggested that the only uh, real fix was to replace the processors in the machines, which of course is not possible. <laughs> uh, so the the next best step, and I think they've changed their their advisory since then anyway, uh, is to apply uh, the security updates, uh, which have started uh, to appear, uh, and that means uh, at the OS level, but also at the browser level, uh, because it's it works. Uh, um, by trying to predict what's happening in the processor by using what's called side channels and usually to timing uh, responses from the processor. So meaning that even though only software on the machines uh, is affected, um, JavaScript in a browser is enough to uh, to be able to construct what's, to predict so what's, what the processor is doing and find out what is in the uh, in the processor in a memory used by other applications on the kernel? And obviously, this has m much bigger implications if you are running um, 
cloud computing and you have tons of servers that will be affected with reduced uh, processor uh, speed by, by the software updates. But most people should first and foremost update uh, the operating system and the browsers on their systems, whether they are uh, mobile phones or computers, because this is a case of increasing your security and better to do it sooner rather than later. And ensure that the updates of the operating system are really applied because in some in sensors on Windows, if you've got an antivirus, they can be conflict with that and the updates can be postponed. So complicated issues. And in case you are confused by this, uh, luckily there's more restart parties, community repair events happening soon. First of which is this Sunday in Kilburn at the Kingsgate Community Centre between 12 and 3 p.m. So hopefully come there or find out about more upcoming events at therestartproject.org. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Restart Project. Thank you for listening. And the music is by Optonoise and Cassini Sound. Thank you.